Welcome back to We Have the Numbers. Uh, we are bringing you a special morning edition. It is 6.45 a.m. Pacific time, 9.45 on the East Coast. And if Pat's mom is lucky, he's drinking coffee instead of whiskey for once. So, Mrs. Whalen, we're, we're happy for you. Uh, we're also happy because we had a much better episode this week. And I am personally beginning to get TJ's final tinkles. I can just feel it in my bones. And the way he lights up when he talks about the final just gives me that comfort that we're in for something really special. And hey, if you're still with us and you haven't yet, please just give us a quick subscribe on Apple Pods or Spotify. It means the world to us and it means you won't miss any content when it drops. So let's jump right into it. And we open up in the house yet again. Uh, it feels like a, a much emptier house than in past weeks. And the men are this time are scrambling. And Justin, we, we have to talk about strategy and start with you for some reason because you have become our resident strategy expert. I guess that's uh, filled the, the gap that was left by us uh, fortunately removing our fantasy updates. But anyway, <laughs> at the start of the episode, we know that Kyle, Josh, Corey, and Swaggy are the remaining guys without red skulls. And they know, and we know, that there may not be another elimination after this. Spoiler alert, TJ alludes to the fact that there is, but they don't know it at the time. And Josh, for whatever reason, throughout the episode is waffling and says that he wants to wait for the right opportunity and that so he could use the observations from watching other people get red skulls to be ready for next year. So question for you is, can you possibly attempt to describe Josh's logic and can you compare him to any modern day professional athlete? Two great questions. So one, to answer that directly, no, because I think Josh is just scared. He's plain and simple scared. And I'm going to submit two items as evidence. One, he does not want to go in the tribunal vote. Absolutely does not want to. He's scared of that. This doesn't try to campaign at all. All all three people in one way or another know that they want to go in or are now working to do that. So why he doesn't have to politic because Bailey's already in the tribunal, so they know if he wants in, they can throw him in. Corey and Kyle are working really hard to get voted in by the group, and Josh is just being a little bitch and not wanting to go in at all. Then he gets mad at Fessy for not throwing him in with the tribunal. So I think he's just scared. He's looking for excuses. And if I had to, if I had to compare him to a, a professional athlete, it'd be somebody who talks about being a leader, talks about being a star, wants to win, wants to be seen as somebody who's serious, and then doesn't do any of the things that would actually contribute to winning. He's Zach Levine. He's a guy who wants to look flashy, put up numbers, but doesn't actually want to play a modicum of defense, not even like a single bit of defense to help his team win. As an Orlando Magic and Aaron Gordon fan, you know that I'm here all the time for Zach Levine slander. So that is a, <laughs> a, a wonderful comparison that, that, that warms my heart early this morning. And yet Josh is all over the place. And I regret that I became a pro Josh podcaster for five minutes in a previous episode because that has gone out the door. And this guy just, he's like the only guy in the house who needs like a coach that lives with him at all times. He's like, Hey buddy, like this is what you need to do at this moment because he cannot do it on his own. Um, the coach would just basically say, do less, just <laughs> stop it. Yeah. Just do, do less. Uh, and Justin alluded to it. You know, the, the challenge this week again was a bit weird and we'll talk about you know, why it was weird because D was part of the winning team, et cetera. But yeah, I mean, there were two guys who 
very much could have gone in either uh, or because of who was on the tribunal. Fessy was friends with a few of them. And of course, Bailey is engaged to Swaggy. And Pat Swaggy's strategy was also befuddling. His wife was in the tribunal. His time is also running out. And he knew he was getting an injured Corey after the House voted him in. And he was still waffling. So this had to be the worst possible lead up to somebody's elimination, right? Yeah, and I think Justin alluded to it uh, quite a bit. I think these guys are just scared. Um, I, Josh has done this a number of times, but I, Swaggy just didn't want the possibility of leaving without Bailey. Um, I think that injury was overblown. I called it on last week's episode that it was going to be a fake injured Corey and that he was going to win. Um, but I, I think he, he was afraid of Corey. Um, he started waffling at the end, but kind of knew with, with Bailey in the tribunal, he, he had to go, um, and eventually, uh, got thrown in there. Also, I'll do the fantasy update. I'm still killing all you guys. <laughs> I, we, we hate you. We absolutely hate you. And I, I texted the group yesterday that if I had known and done my research, this was bananas 20th season, I would have done everything possible to rig it. So I could have picked bananas first, but yeah, Pat is really running away and is probably going to win this Bananas t-shirt. Um, I want to go back to Swaggy, though, for a minute. This was a really bad episode for Bailey and Swaggy because we had Swaggy, uh, and, and I'm excited to get Cindy's thoughts in a bit about how Swaggy looks during the elimination, but Swaggy got eliminated, and we had an interview with Bailey saying that her plan the entire time was to make sure Swaggy got in an elimination, won, and then won the final so he could win a million dollars, and because she could not. I mean, that is like pretty disturbing, right? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's ridiculous. I think Bailey has sort of shown that she's a sidekick to Swaggy and not a true contender herself, um, which is kind of interesting to me than why she sort of gets in beefs with people. You'd think she would try to keep everything copacetic and have as many allies as possible just to sort of use them to, to barter for whatever Swaggy's interests are. I think she thinks of herself as like an enforcer. She's like a political enforcer for Swaggy, but she's shown she's good at things. She's like, she's good at puzzles. She performed surprisingly well in the challenge. Like she was fine pulling a sled. I don't understand what her hesitance is. If she, gonna, had, if she had like half a D's confidence, she would be awesome. I was going to say from this or since the beginning of the season, we've seen her like say that she's a strong competitor. She's proved herself again and again. So this was definitely one of those like, wait, what kind of moments when all of a sudden she didn't even want to make it to the final. Yeah. They, they both talk a really big game and consider themselves to be like big intellectual competitors. But man, when it comes time to like actually shitting or getting off the pot, uh, I think we need to see more next season from both of them. So the other big topic of this episode and last episode, unfortunately, is D's erasure from the season. So I don't really want to talk about it, but we really, we have to. So Last week, we weren't really sure what was going on when we recorded in Trevor, of course, with a very astute observation that the episode was much shorter because D was a big part and they needed to just do a hasty edit. And if you're new to this, D once again uh, said some problematic things you know, about the Black Lives Matter movement. MTV severed ties with her but said they would keep her in the episode. So after last week's abridged episode, we actually saw deleted scenes from MTV's MTV Canada, where apparently racism doesn't exist. And it was, it was clear that there was a, she was a massive part of the storyline. So it made sense why it was cobbled together in the version that we saw. 
And she was also apparently a massive part of this week's episode, but the editors put her in an invisibility cloak. So for 90 minutes, we barely saw any part of D, even though she was on the winning challenge team and she was in the tribunal. So Cindy, I'm, I'm not going to, to lie. I really think the editors deserve golden globes just for making this watchable to begin with. Um, but I also know that you think that the D being gone is generally a net positive for the show. Yeah, so a lot of this season has been focused around her and all her drama and what seems to be her power trip. And as we focused more on her, I found myself getting more and more annoyed. So I think she was already kind of painting herself in a bad light. Um, but I really enjoyed not spending so much time on her because I feel like we got to see so many more of the other castmates. Like Melissa had a really strong episode. Fessy killed it the whole time um, and really had a moment to shine in the tribunal without focusing so much on D. Because I feel like if we would have left Ian, the whole tribunal would have been her and Josh and hashing all that out. Um, but I do feel like the challenge part was then drug out a little too long when they took out all of the D content. Um, but I really enjoyed seeing all of TJ's cackling the whole entire time. So yeah, I'm glad the, that we got more of that this episode because D was gone. <laughs> Yeah, your, your point about allowing some other people to shine is really nice. Like, I love that we're getting to see more Melissa. I feel like we're trying to, like, squeeze juice out of a rock when we're, uh, when we're talking to Fessy. It's very difficult to get that guy to say anything compelling. But it is really fun to watch, to, to watch him compete. And Trevor, I have no idea how long this D storyline is going to go this season. But clearly, she's not uh, on her immediate way out. She has two red skulls. I mean, she, it looks like she's here to stay. But... I can't help wonder if uh, Dee's, again, erasure from the challenge has anything to do with her saying that she hates the Czech Republic in the birthday cameo that we purchased for you months ago before any of this came to the surface. So what are these mysterious Czech forces that are working to ruin her life? Yeah, so, so I, I have a, a pretty good idea of what's going on here. Um, when she disgraced the name of the Czech Republic... Um, I, had, I had a vision. Uh, it was very strange. Um, back on old Wenceslas Square um, in the heart of Prague, there was a, an old gypsy woman with emerald green eyes um, that my mom used to always make me go up to and, and drop a couple coins into you know, her, her hat or basket. And I never knew why my mom was just always, you know, made me hurry over there. But I actually, I, I think this gypsy holds great, great power. And she has cast somewhat of a spell on, on D, a deserved spell. Um, and, you know, she's, D's offended quite a few people at this point, um, but I'm glad we had a gypsy on our side to, to take care of, of what needed to be done. Wow. Well, I'm really happy you dropped <laughs> coins in because I feel like uh, the, the D curse could have easily, you know, come over to, to your side for having her on your fantasy team. But I think you prote protected yourself with what is equivalent to seven and a half US cents. <laughs> 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 uh, exactly uh, okay so so all of you can probably hear in our voices this morning that we're a little groggy we sound a little bit hoarse pat is somehow on this fine thursday cripplingly hungover as as he is wont to be um so we're struggling a bit and i would say that you know not all of us were able to get full night's rest, uh, either because, you know, this is pretty early in the morning, especially for me on the West Coast, or because we were just too excited to record We Have the Numbers. But anyway, sleep is on our minds because we didn't get enough of it. So this week, when I say go, 
I want you to tell me which castmate has the worst sleep schedule. Cindy, let's kick things off with you. So I think I'm gonna have to start off with Nelson. And Nelson seems like the kind of person who is gonna go to the bar and stay there until closing time. And then when we get back home, everyone else is gonna wanna go to bed and he goes to the fridge and just grabs out a 12 pack and wants to continue to rage the rest of the night. Um, so I definitely see him as like the kind of person that's gonna go to bed at like four or five in the morning, wake up past noon, you know, crack a beer to help the hangover and keep plugging away. I can definitely see Nelson as like a call of duty until 4.30 in the morning guy. And then like up at nine to work out. And then just like crashes from like 12 PM to 4 PM. That guy could be all over the place. I also just want to say that anytime we have a negative version of this, somebody says Nelson. So every, every one of these uh, scenarios that we've come up with applies to Nelson's life, which I, I hope Nelson uh, takes to heart. All right, Pat, uh, Mr. Mr. Poor sleep schedule at times. Uh, curious who who you think uh, mimics your life from time to time. I, I sleep a lot, but I have been I've been known to uh, to stay up too late sometimes. But um, I'm just going to go Melissa because she's a baby, so she's probably sleeping like total garbage right now. But I, I think the actual <laughs> is- answer is Nelson. So good call, Cindy. <laughs> That's that's the that's the right answer. And that's Pat a just one more answer right there. <laughs> yeah. he, he managed to answer it in about nine words. <laughs> and and Pat, I know you wanted to clarify a comment you made last week uh, when we said, "Who do you not want leading you into battle?" And your answer was Melissa because she was pregnant. And upon re-listen, you felt that uh, that didn't clearly articulate your point. So now that you've put her name out there again, here is your chance to, to clear up what you were trying wow, to say. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, I've seen like Serena Williams win tournaments pregnant. I've seen pregnant women do amazing things. I just meant I didn't want to put her in harm's way because she's pregnant. So I appreciate you giving me that, that chance to clarify that. But um, yeah, Melissa, you're, you're awesome. I hope you're getting some, some sleep right now. That's a, that's a very honorable reason. I think we can all get behind that. And we can also say that Melissa coming with the fire, mocking Josh, like bringing the heat against everybody this episode while pregnant, lifting that heavy ass thing with Rogan during the challenge and carrying it across that massive field. She has been incredible this season. There's no way she knows she's pregnant at this point. Like you just can't consciously compete like this, knowing that you're pregnant, but I, I, th- I think you're right. And, and I'm, I'm not a big math man, but, uh, if I do the number, she is very early in the, in the pregnancy when this was filmed, but still very, very impressive. Trevor, you are a math man and you're also a man who values sleep. So who do you think doesn't get enough of it? Yeah. So I, the way I'm thinking about this is very scientifically. And I just think it's, who do I think in the house uses the most pre-workout? And I think it's, Kyle I just see him as the guy that like his skin needs to feel like it's like itchy and tingly before he like really goes hard so he just doubles up on the c4 and just it you know he has all sorts of other issues because of that but sleep is something that just doesn't come easily to him he's he's one of those guys who like stocked up on the pre-workout they made illegal because it had chemicals that weren't like fda approved yeah so he's like he's 3d exactly he's he's drinking jack 3d he has some like uh og for loco formula for when it's time (laughs) to party like that guy definitely has an incorrect balance of alcohol and caffeine in his system i think that's a really good pick all right justin finish this out yeah so the minute that you said what the, this was going to be, I already had my answer. So according to Swaggy, 
himself, he's the source of this. He is a financial wizard and a trader. And I know that he thinks that he's way too smart to just be trading large cap stocks. He's not just, you know, trading Google or Apple or Microsoft. He's definitely doing some futures. He's definitely in the Asian market. He's, he's riding some diagonal spreads on Japanese yen futures. And if you're trading in the Asian markets, you're up all night. It's the time zone difference will kill you. So I know he's not going to bed until maybe 6 a.m. Then he's got to get up in time for the 9.30 bell at, uh, on the New York Stock Exchange. So wow. he's barely sleeping. He may, maybe he sleeps from like 4.30 in the afternoon to like 7.30, gets up, preps again for the Asian markets and lets it go. Because we know he's just printing money. Justin, we, we get it. You like finance. But yeah, I mean, Swaggy, Swaggy will sleep when the markets are closed. That's what weekends are for. You know, like you, you yeah, like yen trading spreads, whatever you just said, I, that, that all is happening 24 hours a day. We're in a, we're in a global economy. So yeah, I think that's a, that's another really solid answer. All of those are very good. I think the, the uh, Cliff Notes version of this is that while they're in the house, all of their sleep schedules are screwed because nobody is sleeping. We know for a fact that Josh is a loud snorer. That guy just breathes exclusively through his mouth. So I don't know how anybody, uh, how anybody's able to sleep with that, with those reverberations. There's also no windows in that bunker. So there's no way that like they're sleeping well. Yeah. I'm not a big communal sleeping guy. I know that sounds like very elitist and privileged, but when there's like everyone around me and like snoring and like people are moving at different times and like, bear thank god bear left early because we know nobody's <laughs> sleeping at all when that dude's there because he's just like awake he has the worst sleep schedule now that i'm thinking about it yeah that's a <laughs> po- posthumous selection uh okay so enough about sleep let's get back into last night's episode so we're back and it's the house vote and we're glossing over the challenge again it was a pretty exciting challenge but because d was on the winning team it was just cobbled together a little strangely but the tribunal uh is d it is fessy and it is Bailey. So again, uh, Fessy and Bailey have the most interests. We get some sort of like weird uh, storyline hint that maybe D wanted to get revenge on Rogan, put him into the into the tribunal um, because of what he did last week. But uh, it really wasn't covered, and and Rogan didn't go in. But anyway, we're in the house vote now, and it essentially comes down between uh, Corey and Kyle. And I want to f- focus on two things from this house vote. The first is Corey's daughter. And the second is Melissa emasculating Josh. So first, the daughter. I am super proud of Corey for being a dedicated father. He was in tears because he missed his daughter so much. And he had a FaceTime where she didn't want to talk to him. And I don't think that is necessarily because he's away. I think that's because she's like two years old and is just prone to mood swings. Who amongst, whomst amongst, amongst, oh my God, whomst among us. Wow. We'll get that at some point. It's 6.30 in the morning. Uh, anyway, so I am really glad that Corey has found purpose in this game. But in my mind, this isn't Survivor. Like we're not really playing to these sappy stories when you're on the challenge. So Justin, if you were in that house and you were on the panel making a critical vote between Corey and Kyle, what factors are you considering? So it's, it was, it seems to me like there were a, a, a few different camps. There's longstanding alliances. Like Nelson is never going to not vote for whatever Corey wants if he wants to go in. And then somebody like Melissa is always going to be on Kyle's side. And then the other side of that would be like bananas who is just never going to vote for what Corey wants because he doesn't like him. And they've, they've always been battling each other. But the other one is something where like Jenny, where it's a little more transactional and she is obviously long time friends with Kyle, but Kyle doesn't seem to be doing a lot for Jenny ever. 
other than, you know, just hanging out. And Corey helped her out twice this season in a pretty big way. And she still didn't reciprocate when he needed it. And that kind of thing, I think, is a big problem for her because she's not good at politicking. So having these transactional alliances is important. And just discarding one, which is probably going to have reverberations for the rest of that group, is a problem for her. But the last criteria I would have made was just comedy. So Corey pours his heart out and is talking about his daughter and how he needs to win for her. And then uh, everybody's like, well, shit, that was terrible. Or that was really tough. Corey like really did well there. I can't believe he made that speech. And Kyle's like, well, we all know I have a daughter back home. And I, that would have won me. That was, that was it for me. Kyle had a really good episode. I thought yeah. he was really funny. And like, unlike Josh and Swaggy, there were no doubts what that guy's intentions were. He wanted to go a hundred percent into, into elimination. He was ready to go. And I thought he gave as, about as compelling of a speech as he possibly could have under the circumstances. And then the other highlight from the house vote uh, after they decided to, to give Corey his wish and put him in uh, was Melissa. And she was heated at Josh and bananas, but especially Josh for betraying her last episode and throwing D into the elimination against Maddie. And she really let him have it. So Pat, uh, talk me through your thoughts and play this game with me. Uh, the, the game is Mary fuck kill Melissa, Melissa's accent, Josh. Well, I mean, we're killing Josh. I'm so, I'm so sick. That's of the right Josh. answer. I, I, I just, the, he's so bad at this, how you can be this bad at this game and he's still in it, but he's definitely, he's the one that's not going to get the red skull. They're going to blackball him at the next men's elimination. He's going to get purged and it's going to be a great moment in reality TV history. He probably cries. I don't know. That guy sucks. So kill him. Um, I, I like Melissa. Um, I think she would be delightful uh, as a wife. So I'm going to say Mary Melissa. The accent I'm on the fence on. I like it, but I think eventually would be a little tough. So that would be more of the fuck situation where you do it sometimes, but not not all the time. I, I've never disagreed with you more in my entire life. Like honestly, <laughs> that, I, that, that never in my entire life. Um, I, I have a, I have another Melissa question for anybody out there. How good was her Josh impression when she was talking about uh, like how he goes around the house and like swears on his family's life? Uh, We loved that, right? Absolutely. And when Josh immediately went to just calling her annoying, I was almost on our coffee table, like right there yelling with Melissa too. He's like, you're so annoying. You're so annoying. And like Melissa let him have it. It was amazing. She went off and she did that really alpha move where she like got up on her knees on the couch and was like towering over him. I I loved that so much. I didn't know she was capable of being like that feisty. And the other thing that I love about this the most is like this is I can't even count how many times bananas has been the ringleader of some sort of plot, bring someone with him. And then Bananas gets off scot-free and that person gets the brunt of everybody's anger. And that happened yet again. And Josh is often that person, it feels like, because he really enjoys being with Bananas and kind of scheming. And then Bananas is like, don't look at me, look at Josh. He, he was the deciding vote. And yeah, Josh just can't hang in a one-on-one battle like that. Yeah, Bananas is so charming. He can talk his way out of basically anything. And Josh is the opposite of that, in which he can talk his way into anything. <laughs> 
he, yeah. he just puts himself in trouble all the time. Uh, I'm I'm really with Pat. At this point, I can't see a scenario unless Josh is in a tribunal in which he even has a chance of going into the elimination. Like he really, really blew it this episode. And speaking of that elimination, let's get into it. So we have Corey. He's in there for the house vote. And then the tribunal picks Swaggy, so Bailey's fiance. They pick uh, who are the other people they picked? Why am I forgetting? They picked Kyle, who really wants to, to, to go down and battle. And they picked Josh, who, again, friends with Fessy, should want to go in and get a red skull. And they show those three guys down there uh, waiting to be chosen by the tribunal. And Josh and Swaggy look so scared. Like they are, they look paranoid. Like they want no part of it. Kyle's like begging that he gets a chance to go down there and compete and um, the challenge looks like something that he might have a, a fair chance at. But anyway, Swaggy gives Bailey the head nod and ultimately relents and goes down against Corey. And the challenge is pretty simple. They're on this long wall and they have to swing from side to side and press some buttons that light up some lights. And the first person to light up all their lights for some reason gets thrown into the atmosphere and they win. So Cindy, Take us through your favorite moments from, I think what we all agree was one of the worst displays of athleticism uh, from this entire season and maybe in challenge history. So I've actually never been happier that we waited to record this podcast because I got to relive this moment again this morning and I was still dying laughing, picturing Swaggy just flailing around all over this shipping container. And I kind of had a flashback to the sewer challenge where he falls into the like drain and just starts flopping around like he's drowning. So he kind of looked like that again on the outside of the shipping container, but he definitely looks like he has absolutely no idea what he's doing. Just flailing around, finally gets some momentum. And then all of a sudden he's spinning in circles and just like trying to touch buttons. So it was probably one of the most entertaining moments of the entire season so far. Um, but I'm also wondering how much editing was done to this to make it seem like a close challenge. Cause Corey seemed to kind of have it together the whole time. Like he had a hard time getting some momentum to reach like the farther buttons, but he wasn't spinning in circles and like laying horizontal, just trying to use his height to touch anything. There, there's no point in any part of this elimination that you should have your back to the <laughs> container. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was interesting strategy. And I can't remember which one of you two said it, but you know, this this brought us back to the days of Corey and Nelson kicking a flaming <laughs> soccer ball at each other. And it just they, they couldn't even get it across midfield. It was yeah, this was this was a really bad one. I also like that Swaggy was saying that uh, you know, I have no experience with rock climbing. And so I, ha I think my lack of experience is preventing me from doing this. I'm like, buddy, this is not rock climbing. <laughs> like you are swing swinging from side to side on a, on a shipping container. Oh, I man. think anything where his feet aren't touching the ground is not going to be a strong suit of his. Swimming, climbing, yeah, bouncing and, and on a container. And this should have been because he's a long guy. Like we mm -hmm. always forget that this guy's like six foot three, six foot four, long limbs. Like he should have a massive advantage over Corey in this challenge. But it didn't really matter because as you pointed out, Swaggy really struggled to, to get it going. and was doggy paddling on the container and Corey eventually managed to, to get some momentum. And in that game, as soon as you're, you have momentum and you're swinging from side to side, it's really over. So Corey gets hoisted up in his, in his harness uh, like he's Jesus. He's just, you know, flying up there in the sky and Swaggy's going home. So 
you know, uh, tough to see him go. And Trevor, I think the final question from this episode is what will you miss the most about Swaggy? And I have a second question actually is how would you rate this debut season on a scale from one to $185,000, which is alleged monthly income from day trading? Yeah. So the thing I'm going to miss most about Swaggy is his little flavor saver. (laughs) I don't know why he can pull that off, but you can tell he's very attached to that thing. And I will miss seeing that uh, every week. Uh, If I'm going to rate his debut season, I think it was actually great until this final elimination. Like the sewer thing, you can write that off as it was cold water. Maybe he was throwing a challenge, blah, 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 blah. But this was really bad. I think he went into the red on this final challenge. He's going to be such an easy target on future future seasons for so many different challenges. I think the only thing I could think about when I watched him flailing around was this guy started trading when he was flipping Yu-Gi-Oh cards at a lunch table. This guy was not playing outside during recess. He is not a physical specimen at all. So I think... I think he was quite the contender until he got wildly exposed this week. So if I can translate that into a rating, you would say about $147,000. Negative $147,000. Oh, wow. Okay. That, that, that bad of an episode. Okay. That bad day of day trading. I, I think, yeah. I, I think you're right. I think we, we all kind of gave Swaggy and Bailey some criticism and, and talked a bit of shit throughout the season. But I think the fact that they were so relevant as rookies is nothing that you know something that we shouldn't gloss over you know they were very present and some of the other rookies like casey fessy like people who are really good competitors i mean we still know literally nothing about them they just they just weren't there and uh swaggy and bailey weren't afraid maybe maybe from the help of west but still they weren't afraid to to mix things up um one one more question for you guys again a surprise one pat alluded to it but i think we're we're down and to, to the to the end or very close to the end before the before TJ's final and we had a really epic teaser sorry if I t- stole that as somebody's star of the episode but we had a really epic teaser for next episode with some drama maybe some hinting at people with existing red skulls having to go down in an elimination but we know there's probably one or two eliminations left um, for for each sex so Pat said that he thinks that Josh isn't going to have the chance to get his red skull. Are there any other people in the house that, uh, that you're leaning toward not, not getting in or just not making the final uh, as it's currently constructed? I'm trying to think of the, the women left. I don't remember. We so much- Does Melissa have a red skull? Melissa doesn't. So that was I one name it. that it came to mind. And I, I, I'd be curious to see if she gets one. I, I sort of feel like if Jenny has the opportunity, she's going to throw D in again. I don't really know if she has a good relationship with Melissa. So I don't know if I see Melissa qualifying. Yeah, I, I don't know either. And I'm still kind of confused who Melissa's alliance is or was. Like, for some reason, she's aligned with D, but that doesn't quite yeah. make any sense to me. Um, I think Kyle's going to get his chance to go in. So I'm, I'm with you guys. I think Josh is probably going to be the, uh, the, the guy who's left out of this thing. Um, and then everyone else will have a red skull. I think the other interesting implication of all of this is this is going to be a big, pretty big final, right? Like this is going to be a lot of people in TJ's final. 
Yeah, I, I think it's going to be, and they've kind of done this in the past where it's tiered and like people lose throughout. I, I think they're going to shed some people through the final kind of early. But yeah, there's a there's a ton. There's going to be a ton of people with skulls. Um, so I'm I'm guessing they'll they'll get rid of some at the beginning of the final. Yeah, well, I'm really excited. We have a lot of super strong competitors left. So whatever the format of the final is, I think it'll be really entertaining and. I know this is certainly not TJ's first time saying this, but he does say it's the hardest final ever. And every year it's the hardest final ever. This one has a, has a snowy mountain that uh, a young seven-year-old Trevor probably went down in, a, in an old check sled at some point in the 90s, but toboggan in the, in the, in the 90s. But anyway, we're really excited to, to I, I was going to say that I, I really hope that Nelson gets knocked out before they reach the mountain because he just cannot handle the cold. And he's, he's going to die on that mountain. Ooh, that's a really good point. Yeah, that guy does not have good circulation. He's a poor circulation no. boy. Uh, but anyway, we'll see. Uh, hopefully Nelson makes it up. Hopefully no one has to get airlifted off the mountain, but we still have some time left before that. And we still have a little bit of time left before we wrap up today. So as we finish every episode, I'd like for you guys to take me through one or, one or two stars that really stuck, up, uh, stuck out to you from last night. And Trevor, we're starting with you today. I'm going to go simple here. I think this was a foreshadowing for the rest of the season. Chips are officially back. Fessy was chomping down on some chips as he was trying to gently tell his friend Josh, you, my friend, are an idiot. (laughs) So I think chips are back. I hope to see him again. Chips. Yeah, I forgot that that was one of our, our big stars early on. And I'm glad they're back. I think Fessy's feeling really comfortable. So he's letting his diet go. He, he's carving oh, yeah. up. He's snacking. I saw that he was passing out beers at the bar last night. You know, that guy, that guy feels like he's in a pretty comfortable position. So yeah, Chips are definitely back. Justin, who are your stars? I have two. First one is a TJ Fit check. He brought back my favorite jacket. So he has this leather uh, or I'm not quite animal skin, probably coat with giant fur lapels on it. And he looks like such a comrade. It's my favorite one. It makes every other coat of his look so pedestrian in comparison. He should be wearing that everywhere. It looks incredible. The second one is density. So <laughs> during, <laughs> during the challenge, Kyle said, it doesn't, it's not important how big your junk is. It's, it's the density of your junk. And I couldn't agree more. And I think, that helped, I think that helped them, that propelled them to honestly a pretty surprising second place finish in the challenge with uh, Kyle, Jenny, and Anissa, which is not the strongest group I would have thought, but Kyle always seems to surprise and Anissa's been doing very well this season. And then in the elimination, Swaggy, who we thought had an advantage being all uh, spindly and lanky, gets destroyed honestly by Corey who just made himself into a bowling ball and was flying back and forth. So as a, as a certified denseman, I could not be happier. <laughs> you really are a certified denseman. I think that's a really good <laughs> adjective to describe you. I'm, I'm not going to have Cindy comment on your initial uh, comment about <laughs> density. I, I feel like that's, that's none of our business, but uh, we have a better idea of, of where things stand. Okay, Pat, please take us away from this dense topic. Uh, gladly. Um, so I just have one star. They have to, well, actually, it's probably multiple people, but uh, the editors of the show who have completely erased D from the show and still filling up hour and a half episodes. They're probably working, talking about bad sleep schedule. They're probably working nonstop to fix all these episodes to get her uh, racist ass out of all of them. So uh, kudos to them for going through 
uh, making all these edits and still giving us an hour and a half because just an hour of this last week was certainly not enough. So shouts, shouts out to the editor. Editors are editors are really great. You actually just stole one of my stars, so we're we're fully aligned there. The stars are aligning. Nice. Wow. Okay, uh, Cindy, please go. Um, I really thought that this was Fessy's episode. Um, once again, we really saw how truly athletic he is when he was killing everyone in the second stage of the challenge. Just like ran over the line with the sled way before anybody else. Also, just shout out to Bananas One Liner as Fessy is just destroying everyone and he calls him Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> <laughs> Died laughing. His dad jokes are coming out. Oh my God, sure. they're amazing. Um, but Fessy also got a shine during the tribunal. And again, like, it's kind of surprising we haven't seen more of him this season because he was, I thought he was really articulate and definitely seems like one of the more like well rounded challenge contestants. So I thought this was really Fessy's episode. I, I really am interested to see how he performs in, in the final. Like we don't really know how he does with puzzles, but the fact that he's so fast and so big, like you have to imagine he's one of the favorites to get up a mountain first, but I'm always also surprised by how much those people stumble on random things like eating something disgusting or doing very simple math, which, you know, apparently is everybody's kryptonite in the show. But yeah, it was nice to ha see Fessy have more of a presence. And like you said earlier, I think D's absence uh, may lead to that a bit. Um, so my stars, again, Pat took one of mine, certainly the editors. I think being able to rebound well from last week where uh, they had to cobble something together in just a matter of, of minutes, essentially, because she uh, committed her social media crimes on Sunday. Uh, you know, they did a really good job of, of doing that this week. And there were times where I completely forgot that she was there and I forgot that she was in the tribunal and that, you know, speaks to how good of a job they did. And also that teaser that they put together was amazing at the end. Uh, my other star of the episode is naming. And I'm going to congratulate ourselves because the last episode was called Tanks for Nothing. And this, this uh, episode, they had a challenge that had another pun on the word tanks. And I just want to take full credit for that because we have the numbers pod uh, we are very progressive and we are innovative and we helped inspire MTV to name a challenge uh, using a clever tank pun, which I'm sure nobody thought of going into the season. So a little, a little pat on the back for us here. Anyway, uh, lots of really exciting things to come on the show, both on We Have the Numbers and on the challenge. We're excited to see how this thing unravels and who will get those last few Red Skull spots. And if we have any surprises, like people with existing Red Skulls going home before they have a chance to make TJ's final. Uh, a final reminder to please subscribe and give us five stars if you enjoy the show. And to give us a follow on Instagram at WeHaveTheNumbersPod and on Twitter at WHTNPod. We'll see you next week.